They lost their fight in the Senate, but the battle is still on for the whistleblowers who sparked the impeachment of Attorney General Ken Paxton. I will not ever give up because I cannot stand by and allow corruption to happen in this state. There's new life for a lawsuit against the AG. We speak with a whistleblower behind the case about what comes next. Governor Abbott takes his message on border policy to New York City. Now he's trying to put pressure on the feds to take new steps to stop migrants from crossing into Texas. I just don't understand the need to bring additional law enforcement to our community to be stopping people for non-violent, um, non-moving traffic violations. DPS patrols in Austin lead to more arrests, and that's creating a backlog in court. We investigate the concerns and explore a possible solution. Produced from the Capitol in Austin and airing statewide, this is the award-winning State of Texas. Hello and thank you for joining us. I'm Josh Hinkle. The Senate acquitted Attorney General Ken Paxton, but his legal issues are not over. On Friday, the Texas Supreme Court cleared the way for the whistleblower suit that sparked the impeachment to head to trial. Monica Madden reports on how the whistleblowers plan to move forward. This case is about truth. Three of Attorney General Ken Paxton's former top aides vowing to continue their legal fight. The political trial is over and it's time for the case to return to a real court. The group says Paxton did not uphold his agreement in their $3.3 million settlement. Paxton asked the state to pay for it, but the legislature didn't sign off. We will document each frivolous delay that Ken Paxton engages in to continue hiding from the truth. Delays which will ultimately will just cost the taxpayers more in the long run. They want the case back in court where Blake Brickman says political influence won't impact the results. Our judge will not receive a multi-million dollar donation from Paxton supporters on the eve of trial. Our jurors will not have their careers overtly threatened. Most importantly, Ken Paxton will have to testify under oath or plead the fifth in open court. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick accepted a $3 million campaign donation from a conservative PAC before the trial. Patrick tells me that didn't impact his role as judge. There is a certain level of integrity. And in new video from the Lieutenant Governor's office, some senators are denying that Patrick tried to influence their votes in the trial. Every individual juror took this job and role very seriously. And I, I think all of those um, allegations and rumor mill are just absurd. While the impeachment battle is over, the war is just getting started. Monica Madden, State of Texas. We want to take an in-depth look at this story with the lead plaintiff in the whistleblower's lawsuit. Blake Brickman, Paxton's former assistant attorney general, spoke to Capitol correspondent Ryan Chandler about what comes next. Mr. Brickman, thank you very much for joining us. It was three years ago this weekend that you, along with other whistleblowers in the attorney general's office, went to the FBI to report your old boss, Ken Paxton. Since then, it's been a very long story, and it's clear that the end of Paxton's impeachment trial was not the end of that story. We're simply going into a next chapter. What does that next chapter look like for you, and how do you hope it's going to be different than the trial we just watched play out? Well, thanks for having me, Ryan. I'm uh, happy to answer any questions about this in the last three years, unlike Ken Paxton, who just dodges and lies whenever he can about this. But the next chapter for us is this week, the four whistleblowers who are the plaintiffs in the whistleblower lawsuit asked the Texas Supreme Court to send our case back to Travis County so we can have a trial 
so we can actually put Ken Paxton under oath and depose him, which did not happen in the impeachment trial because Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick ruled at his discretion only that Ken Paxton did not have to testify. So at, at a real trial in Travis County, we're going to call Ken Paxton. He's either going to have to testify or invoke his Fifth Amendment rights. So that's, that's the next path for us. What will Ken Paxton's testimony bring to light that uh, was not present in the evidence at the impeachment trial? Well, the underlying facts at the impeachment trial have really never been disputed by Ken Paxton. I mean, he abused the office for Nate Paul. Nate Paul is currently under federal indictment. But if you actually watch the impeachment trial, the, the, the facts of the case really weren't disputed. So let's assume Ken Paxton does take the stand at some point in a trial that may be coming. What's the first question you hope counsel asks him? Why did you do this? Why did you turn your entire office over to an Austin businessman that's under federal indictment? Why were you so obsessed with anything related to Nate Paul at the expense of all the important work we were doing? Ryan, the eight of us that turned Ken Paxton in are committed conservatives. We believe in conservative government, and it was shocking to us to see the Attorney General of Texas so obsessed, not with, remember this was during COVID, this was when we were having fights over mass mandates and school opening and school closings and those things. Ken Paxson wasn't worried about those things. What he was worried about was one guy named Nate Paul. Why, Ken Paxson, were you so worried about him, so focused on him? You know, I imagine that uh, you, as a staunch conservative, agree with many of the senators who voted to acquit Ken Paxton, um, as well as the broad majority of the Republican Party. You, you probably agree with a lot. But after seeing how that pressure from the Republican Party uh, may have played a part in this trial, do you have any disillusionment about your role in the Republican Party or the party's role uh, in the state? Yeah, Ryan, I was the chief of staff for United States Senator, who is the most conservative senator in the country, a man named Jim Bunning. I was the chief of staff for a governor named Matt Bevan, who is the most conservative governor in the, in the country at the time. I have been like in the trenches of conservative Republican politics for 20 years, and my biggest concern is Lieutenant Governor Patrick and those 16 Republican senators that voted no have con basically condoned corruption. And I don't want to see the Republican Party, the Republican Party of Texas, be the party of corruption. That's why my fight will continue as long as it takes to expose this. And I will not ever give up because I cannot stand by and allow corruption to happen in this state. We, we've talked about the settlement. We've talked about an apology. What will it take fully to make you feel vindicated? Well, there is a criminal investigation ongoing that I can't talk about. So there's two tracks. There's that mm -hmm. track, and then there's our whistleblower lawsuit, where I do have control over that, assuming the Texas Supreme Court sends us back to Travis County. And that's where I will fight for the first time to have Ken Paxton do what he refuses to do with you and other members of the media, which is actually answer questions about his illegal, immoral, and unethical conduct. Our whistleblower lawsuit is going to make that happen. Well, and for the record, we have extended this same invitation to Attorney General Ken Paxton to come on our program or any of ours and answer some of these same kind of questions. Until now, I mean, we have not heard any response from his office yet. Um, but, of course, that invitation is always standing. 
Mr. Brickman, thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate it. We did ask the Attorney General's office to respond to the whistleblower's claims. They told us they will respond in court. In documents the office filed with the court, lawyers asked the justices to hold off resuming the case for at least two years. It's hogwash. It never happened. It's propaganda. It's not real. Up next, a different perspective on the Paxton trial. How one state senator is pushing back on the idea that political pressure influenced the decision. And later, DPS patrols in Austin bring more arrests, but that's causing a problem. We investigate a court backlog and a possible solution. You heard from the whistleblowers in our last segment, and now we want to give you a different perspective on Paxton's acquittal. State Senator Paul Bettencourt is one of the six members who voted to throw all the charges out before the trial started. He spoke with Ryan Chandler and pushed back on accusations that political pressure influenced the Senate's decision. I heard that you had taken issue uh, with some of your Democratic colleagues' characterizations of what was going on during deliberations. Um, they have asserted that there may have been some pressure from the lieutenant governor and some political influence on the lieutenant governor himself. What do you, what do you make of, of those concerns? Uh, that's just absolute baloney. And here's why. It's hogwash. It never happened. It's propaganda. It's not real. I'm trying to give all these adjectives to make it real clear because the lieutenant governor, he firewalled himself off. He said, you can't talk to me you know, weeks in advance. And unfortunately, a rumor got started. I've actually tracked it as far back as the Wall Street Journal, the editorial the day after the election, that said the fix was in, Lieutenant Governor called and lobbied all the members. He didn't do it. It's not real. No, there's no senator that will say that. In fact, the Texas Republican uh, Senate caucus put out a statement to that effect. Individual senators have said that, and even people that have been arguing with Lieutenant Governor uh, have said that, uh, because it's not real. This is part of the swirl that occurred, you know, quite frankly, in the media, it's not based on any fact or supposition of fact that I understand. Can you admit that the at least the appearance of impropriety is there when we have, you know, senators uh, with with histories with the defendant or or taking campaign donations from uh, favorable parties to the defendant, you called for some constitutional amendments uh, to be made in order to change the way we do it. Sure. Do you think that some changes need to be made in in how people may be able to influence the process or appear to influence the process? Well, first off, the statement that Texas. Uh, Senate Republican caucus made is that we were not influenced. That's that's our statement in writing. That's, uh, you, you know, uh, a vote of, you know, 90% of those members agreed to that statement. And more importantly, there's no one saying that they were called by Lieutenant Governor or lobbied or, or influenced. And, and so, uh, so I have to reject that and just go back to what really occurred. The votes that people made were uniquely their own. And it was based upon it, what we believe, or at least I, I think the vast majority of the, of the senators believe, that there's just not evidence beyond a reasonable doubt. And that's why the verdict came out, because it just doesn't meet uh, uh, beyond a reasonable doubt standard. 
As Ryan mentioned, Senator Betancourt wants to amend the Texas Constitution to change the way future impeachments are conducted. His proposals include minimum time standards to allow for reviewing evidence and requiring the House to cross-examine witnesses. If the objective is to address any type of violent crime, I'm not sure how the, the practices that we're seeing right now are meeting that objective. DPS patrols in Austin lead to more arrests, and that's creating a backlog in court. We investigate the concerns and explore a possible solution. Governor Abbott tries something new to pressure the federal government to take action at the border. How he's looking for unlikely allies to help the cause. Triple the amount of last year's total, and we're not even at the end of the year yet. This summer, Travis County Attorney Delia Garza sent an email to city officials stressing her concern over 100 additional state troopers patrolling Austin streets and contributing to a court backlog. Brianna Hollis joins us now. You've been looking into this backlog, and Garza told you her office is so bogged down with nonviolent misdemeanor arrests, her staff doesn't have much time to focus on more serious cases. Yeah, that's right. So in all of 2022, the county attorney's office received just over 560 misdemeanor charges from DPS, but in the first eight months of this year alone, that number has nearly tripled to more than 1,600, a staggering statistic. Garza says delays justice. What impact does the misdemeanor court backlog have on the general public? Well, I think, again, it's the same prosecutors working family violence cases and DWI cases and now low-level cases that resulted from these non-really moving violations. County Attorney Delia Garza says her prosecutors are inundated with misdemeanor charges from state troopers. Records show 647 DPS cases this year pending with her office. Prosecutors spent time reviewing and ultimately declining 308 others. Many charges are for low-level drug possession, 300 alone for possessing fewer than two ounces of marijuana. What was the PC for the stop, you know? Expired registration. Expired registration. Many stemmed from traffic stops involving non-moving traffic violations. It was um, stops for expired registrations, um, not wearing a seatbelt, those kinds of things. I just don't understand the need to bring additional law enforcement to our community to be stopping people for non-violent, um, non-moving traffic violations. Susana Almanza, one of the biggest advocates for Austin's Hispanic community, also has concerns. Even more after she says DPS pulled her over. And the fear, uh, the fear that people have felt. All of those kind of feelings came to the forefront. While her traffic stop didn't result in an arrest, she worries about her neighbors. This is a low-income poverty community, and anytime you have to pay a tremendous fine, it really impacts the whole entire family. So every one of my cases. Austin defense attorney Ben Gergen says the spike in DPS arrests has kept his office busier than ever. A lot of times someone gets a charge, uh, that stress, you know, it can send them in the right direction. It can motivate them to make positive changes in their life. Uh, but for a lot of people, you know, again, they don't have the money to hire an attorney. He says he's defending people for misdemeanor charges local law enforcement wouldn't usually issue, like low-level drug possession. Extra cases filed that have not been filed in the last three years. If the objective is to address any type of violent crime, I'm not sure how the, the practices that we're seeing right now are meeting that objective. The county attorney says one solution to the backlog could be adding an additional JP court docket.
This would take more staffing and resources, but there isn't money in the current budget for that. So she'd have to make a special request to county commissioners. Now, you'll recall the increased DPS presence started as a way to keep up with crime in the city as the Austin Police Department faces a critical staffing shortage. The governor currently dictates where troopers deploy, and at this point, there's no indication of how long they'll stay. Well, what does DPS have to say about its efforts here? So it emailed a statement pointing to the amount of fentanyl and firearms seized as a result of DPS arrests, also saying its operations are, quote, reducing violent crime as well as decreasing traffic fatalities and improving the public safety across the city of Austin. And the agency pointed to an August briefing where APD talked about the drop in 911 calls when DPS was here and how those numbers went back up when troopers took a brief hiatus from July or from May to July to help with the border. All right, Brianna, thank you very much. DPS began its Austin operation on March 30th as a partnership, but the city ended that agreement on July 12th after a traffic stop that concerned the mayor's office. Later that night, Governor Greg Abbott ordered troopers to stay in Austin and doubled down, adding an additional 30 to patrol the streets. It's not the first time a Texas city has had help from DPS in recent years. In 2019, troopers assisted Dallas law enforcement in response to a violent crime increase. The initiative ended later that year. See how the crime numbers have changed since the agency's presence in Austin. Explore our data interactive online now. We have a link in this week's State of Texas story in the Texas politics section of our website. The lead importer of migrants to New York not Texas, it's Joe Biden. Governor Abbott heads to New York City to send a message on border policy, how he's trying to put pressure on the feds to take new steps to stop migrants from crossing the border. Governor Greg Abbott went to New York City to send a message about migrants crossing the border. He's faced some criticism for busing migrants from Texas to New York and other cities. Abbott has said it's part of an effort to relieve the burden on Texas border cities. New York Mayor Eric Adams said his city could be destroyed if it doesn't get more help to manage the growing number of migrants. But as Monica Madden shows us, Governor Abbott is sending a message that the problem in Texas is much worse. What's going on is unsustainable. Speaking from the Big Apple at a conservative think tank Wednesday, Governor Greg Abbott talked about the 15,800 migrants he bused to New York since April of 2022. We're dealing with in New York, what you are seeing and witnessing in the state is a tiny fraction of what is happening every single day in the state of Texas. New York Mayor Eric Adams has called Abbott a quote madman for the initiative. My city is hurting. This could undermine this entire city. Mm -hmm. My children, my families, the long-term impact to migrants. And says the influx of migrants could cost New York upwards of $12 billion. We should not be experiencing this and we're going to continue to push for the right funding. But Texas's bus loads represent a small fraction of the 116,000 asylum seekers who've arrived in New York since April 2022. Governor Abbott uh, has won the narrative. We have never seen a response to a migration issue in New York or in D.C. or in Philadelphia or Chicago, as we have seen. So he's made his point. The Texas governor said Wednesday the Democratic mayors should be blaming the Biden administration. They must prevail upon their president for more than just money. 
They need a change in policy. But no one is looking the problem holistic. In the process, we are losing, we are beginning to lose the consensus of asylum. Monica Madden, State of Texas. Mayor Adams said he thinks the U.S. should reinstate the Remain in Mexico policy for migrants. That's a policy Governor Abbott also supports. The numbers of people crossing the border are growing, and we're also seeing a change in who's coming across. We looked at the last three years of data from CBP, that's U.S. Customs and Border Protection. In fiscal year 2021, CBP registered just over 1.7 million encounters with migrants along the southern border. That number rose to nearly 2.4 million in fiscal year 2022. We're on pace to top that number in the fiscal year that ended yesterday. Data through August showed just over 2.2 million encounters. Most of the people crossing are single adults, but the data shows a growing number of families. In 2022, less than a quarter of the people crossing came across the border as part of a family. In the latest fiscal year, that number rose to nearly a third of those crossing the border. Thank you again for joining us for State of Texas. I'm Josh Hinkle. We'll be back next week to bring you an in-depth look at Texas politics.